ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, and prefer not to disclose, back to the Undressing Underground Podcast. Today on the show is Mike Verta, or Verta. It's might be somewhere between those two. I couldn't really tell from the one video clip I just watched a minute ago because I realized I didn't know how to say his name right. And I still don't. Anyway, Google Mike Verta, Verta. Google Mike. And you'll see that he's apparently first and foremost Danica McKellar's ex-husband. Probably saying her name wrong too. Uh, but Danica, who we don't talk about much, but we mentioned a little bit, so I'll explain real quick that she is, well, she was uh, Winnie Cooper on The Wonder Years, Kevin Arnold's on-again, off-again girlfriend. She's also been on Dancing with the Stars, and she's a mathematician, and other stuff that's not relevant to this, because I'm talking to Mike. Even though if you Google him and you see, look at the top right corner, the first thing it says, Boris, get out of here is uh, he's her ex-husband, and then there's a bunch of wedding photos and other photos of them together, and even includes their marriage location of La Jolla, California. But again, all of this is irrelevant. And, uh, yeah, so let's talk about Mike. Mike was, I was turned on the mic by TD's Frank on the original trilogy forum. So, once again, this is a Star Wars-related thing. Mike's been doing a lot, a lot, a lot of work over the past 10 years trying to create the definitive digital restoration of the original Star Wars. So we're going to talk about that and the insane lengths he's gone to to create the best possible presentation of that film. We're also going to talk about some of his film scoring work, his master classes he does, his, his marathon master classes that go between like three and six hours, where he talks to people about how to score films and make music, and a lot of other things. It's mostly him talking and me laughing because I find people that are very energetic and enjoy what they do to be very funny because I hate myself in my life so I'm amused by people that don't. So yeah, here's Mike Verta. 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 Hey. Hello, how are you? Alright, you? Well, thanks. I recognize your background from the uh, instructional videos you have. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I do, uh, do them all here pretty much. Yeah, what's the deal with like the six hour one? I was I didn't watch it, but I was skimming through it. It looks like it's just you standing there for six hours. Yeah, I do uh, most of my most of my online master classes run like somewhere between four and six hours, and uh, and that the free ones that are on YouTube are just like uh, every once in a while I'll do one where students or young composers will send in pieces just for critique and it's just like a marathon critique session and so oh wow yeah so that was uh so those are pretty useful and and they give people a good idea of the flavor of the of the master classes that they teach so yeah 
how do people find you like these young composers well i'm pretty active in the you know composing community i mean i've uh you know that's 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 my primary job i was working professionally when i was in my teens so i just have had a lot of years you know at that and then there's certain communities like anything else and there's couple of big composer communities and so so that's usually where um people will come and find the classes and then you know i do them about i try to do them once a month uh but uh it's not always it's not always regular is that are you talking about like a forum that yeah there's a forum there's one called uh, vi control hmm. and that's probably the biggest one and um i mean i've been on there forever and uh so, I mean, when I first joined way back and whatever, I was just, you know, here's some examples of my work, but, yeah. you know, um, there aren't that many, there aren't that many professionals on that. I mean, there, okay. there are now, but there weren't. So it just doesn't take long for people to go, well, how, how, how do you, can you tell me how you, and pretty soon it was like, well, what if I did a class, would you guys want to, and then, yeah. So it was, I hadn't planned on doing it. It was just a lot of people were asking for help and advice and, you know, bits of, whatever just things that you learn in 30 years of doing something and so then i was like all right we'll do classes then that happened yeah i had no idea that's cool i had no idea that like that scene was like that accessible for newer people well you know the scene is certainly i think there's a forum and a community for anything yeah <laughs> what, what what didn't really exist you know in, until recent years was that idea where you, you could have online interaction that was real time enough or, or accessible worldwide enough to have full online curriculums and sort of, you know, one-on-one -on -one group chat stuff. But that's, that's de rigueur now. So. Um, so professionally you do these scores, like what exactly I was looking at your website. It looks like you've scored. I mean, I'll try to look at your IMDb page, but it wasn't that updated. <laughs> Well, it's not that it's so much not updated. It's that, you know, the the bulk of the work that I've done in the last 30 years has been stuff that doesn't show up on IMDb, like hmm. theme park attractions and commercials. And, uh, you know, I mean, I've, God knows how many trailers I did for Warner Bros. and Disney. And I mean, I, just, I can't even. But usually in those capacities, like I had a post-production company for many years. Um, I was serving in multiple capacities. So... You know, I did a lot. I did trailers for. I did the original trailer for for Harry Potter, and I did for Superman and Terminator, and all these Warner Brothers films. And usually on those jobs, um, at the very minimum, I'd be doing the motion graphics work, any of the titles or any of that sort of thing, and um, writing the music for it. But also usually doing sound design, supervising the mix, and and a good portion of the time doing the editing too. So there was a lot of, you know, a lot of that sort of work where, you know, there's no. I mean, I've, I get, get awards for industry stuff, but there's no credits on trailer or on commercials or really for, uh, you know, any of the theme park stuff that I've done in a billion industrials and, 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 and uh, ghost writing, too, for some guys and uh, video game stuff and uh, museums, some private commissions, just all kinds of stuff. You know, wor working composer stuff is different than film. I started out wanted to be a, a film composer. It's what I wanted to do. Yeah. And uh, and then as movies changed, and then we're no longer making the kind of movies that I like, and, and they don't use the kind of music that I just they, music isn't used in films the way it was for the last 150 years. So yes, I'm, I sort of like well, you know, not into that so much. Yeah, I, I've I've heard you talk about that in one of your podcasts. I think about it's like something that I think 
I mean, I've noticed at least, but I'm not, I think most people have noticed, like, there's a, been a definite move, sorry, my cat, um, there's been a definite move away from, like, melodic scores and more toward just, like, pulsating and just sort of rhythm, I don't know if it's even rhythm-based. Yeah, I mean, there's, uh, you know, I had a, I mean, my name drop is, I, I was talking to Hans Zimmer a couple <laughs> years ago about this, and, um, and he was telling me that he, he thought, he thought that modern films rejected themes, but it's, I, I disagree. And, and there's plenty of thematic material still present in scores, but what's changed is, is that they don't have a long form symphonic story like development. Cause that's a lot harder requires decades of experience, frankly, no matter how much training you have. So that's the difference between let's say everybody before, you know, 2000 from your Horners and Goldsmith and Williams going all the way back. These were guys who were trained as symphonic writers. They could develop some motifs, some ideas, no matter what they were, even if they were two note motifs like in Jaws or whether they were more operatic, but they can develop those themes in ways that never repeat and constantly evolve and change over the course of 90 minutes. They follow the same structure that a, that a script would follow. So, you know, when you're hearing that force theme in the beginning of, uh, of Star Wars, it's different when you when Luke is standing looking at the twin suns, and it's different, you know, during the final battle with the uh, the Empire at the end. And that theme has has woven in and out of the story, and it connects the audience to the characters and to the drama as it goes. And so, all taken together, you can listen to Star Wars all by itself, and the score has an entirely unfolding story. And we, we just don't train people to do that anymore. Hmm. They don't have anywhere near the skills to do that. So what you have today, your film scores are a collection of really great, really cool, perfectly appropriate cues strung together for every scene, but they don't all together weave a changing story. Um, so, you know, it's just, it's, it's a lot easier if you can lean on, on repeating ostinatos or beds or that sort of thing. Learning to write good themes and motifs in the first place is fucking difficult. <laughs> and then being able to take those and have them be the right kind of things that you can mine and develop and and then having the skill to do that for 90 minutes is that's that's you just can't do that. You just nobody can. Um so you know, I mean, uh, John Williams couldn't even do it in his 20s. What he was writing in his late 20s and 30s is nowhere near where he was at 44 when he was banging out Star Wars. Hmm. So it's uh, it's a very different world. It's a very different uh, aesthetic. Do you see it coming back at some point, though? No, I don't because uh, because if if there was a philosophical change where people said, you know, let's bring that back, there's nobody to do it. Hmm. Um, you know, I mean, I, I'm teaching students as best as I can. But, but, you know, but young composers especially have the realities of they got to get a fucking job. I mean, they need to do what, what the clients want, and they're sort of trapped in the thing of it. And they don't have the clout um, or the balls usually to step up and go, well, look, let's, we need to do it less, this way because this is bullshit and this is forgettable. So, I mean, and you have to forgive them for that. you got to make a living at it. But, but if somebody said, okay, well, let's hear your John Williams-esque score, uh, there's basically nobody under the age of, you know, 50 um, who's qualified to do that. And the handful of us that came up that way and were trained that way, um, I mean, what we do is we find our audience uh, wherever it is. It may not be in film anymore. It may not all be conveniently located in Hollywood. 
but there's 7 billion people on the planet. No matter what kind of music you want to write, there's somebody who's, you know, you have an audience out there. In fact, more people you could ever hope to find in your entire life. So you just have to think about, well, where, where, where is the fit for this kind of work, if that's what you want to do. Wasn't there like a small research? I mean, do you see like the score to 28 Days Later, like that sort of post-rock score being at all similar to that? Or is that just its own thing? Again, again, it's a different thing. There's a lot of micro genres. I mean, animation is probably the, the last place that you're going to hear scores like sort of like that. Right. But, um, but regardless of whether or not you're doing a rock score or, 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 I mean, no matter what the instrumentation is or even what the genre or style is, the fundamental difference is not the instruments, it's not the sound, it's the structure. And so it, so what, what, what has changed is the structure. And that's not only true in music, that's also true in script. You know, they've got these nine and 12 act scripts now. And, you know, that instead of three act that changed and, um, that changed around the same time. And, uh, you know, and it's for the same reason, because the inherent ideas aren't particularly compelling, so they can't sustain 90 minutes. So it's like, but then, and then, and then, and then it's not the bad guy. You thought it was the bad guy, but it's not. It's the other guy. And then the thing they were choosing for the last 40 minutes, that's not the thing at all. Instead, it's just, and it just keeps going like that and going like that. The mystery they box set up. <laughs> Yeah, and 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 it's just it's just and then another CG set piece and another CG set piece and then so that's kind of so that's where we are. So the music is doing what the films are doing, but none of them are doing what 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 films did for the you know for the last 150 years. And you know, uh, I, I was at Wetzel's Pretzels the other day, and uh, they have on their little little thing, uh, say hello to our little friends. They you know they do little Wetzel pretzel bites. Okay, well that's from fucking Scarface. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. you tell me which one of the Avengers movies that are coming out every 15 minutes now is going to be quoted by anybody in in 25 years. Oh, yeah. If I, you know, hold anybody uh, underwater now and ask them to give you one line from any movie that anybody knows. Yeah, I mean, I'm, part of me is dreading the new Star Wars. I'm afraid it's going to be like Planet of the Apes and uh, uh, a Star Trek where they just like quote the old films in new contexts. I mean, they certainly are from a uh, design standpoint. Um, yeah. uh, you know, there's not any new ideas there. But, um, but you know, I mean, uh, I'm rooting for the new Star Wars. Yeah. I'm not interested in it. I'm not going to go see it, but I'm rooting for it. You're not going to see it? Uh, I, I have no interest in it. I don't, uh, I mean, you know, the, I, I'm the kind of consumer whereby, it's like this, here's where I come down. Um, I have nothing against the man personally, but J.J. Abrams has never crafted a single iconic moment or movie in his entire career. And by this point, in his, at, his, at his same age, Spielberg had done Jaws, E.T., Raiders of the Lost Ark, Close Encounters, Jurassic Park, and Schindler's List. Yeah. So we are, we are talking about completely different levels of craft. So, um, you know, after a couple of J.J. Abrams movies, my my place of it is like oh yeah i don't really dig his films so i don't have any inherent reason I've, i mean let's let's hope this is the one that if, all is this you know comes together let's be great and if it is everybody goes no seriously you got to go see it oh i guess i'll catch it by the way my insiders who are working on the film my friends and the vfx departments uh, have all said don't, don't it's nothing Really, but yeah, but they said the same thing on the prequels. I had a bunch. The prequels were awful, so. Well, I'm just saying, I had a bunch of friends who went up to ILM, uh, worked in the Rebel unit, um, and uh, and one of them brought home. I mean, I we were working on a big job 
together for this thing for Warner Brothers. And a few of them got the call and they were like, we got to go at Star Wars. And I'm like, I totally get it. I understand. How can you not go? Yeah. And they called, and they were fucking depressed like three months later. And one of them brought home, I still have it somewhere. It brought home a traffic cone from the employee parking lot that's an ILM, incredibly low morale. <laughs> and, um, and, uh, and so you know, they were just, they were just like, yeah, this is not, this is not good. So, you know, recently when I was getting some of the feedback from, from, from friends working on it, it was the same thing. They're like, it's not Star Wars. It's not, don't get your, you know, but, wow. you know, but they're also, they're also coming mostly from the same place that I am, which right. is, you know, it's not enough for it to just be Star Wars. What about That's your son? What about your son? Like I see his little R2-D2 toy in the background. Like. Yeah, you know, it's funny. He's not seen the film. He has oh. never seen a frame of the film. There's he like two never... posters behind you. There's a stormtrooper. Well, see, it's really weird. Uh, he's never heard the music. He's never seen the film. He's going to see it on his fifth birthday, which is in two weeks. Oh, okay. Um, it's the first movie he'll ever have seen. It's the first time he'll ever have been in a movie theater. And uh, it's playing nearby. Well, it will be. Okay. Uh, uh, and because it was the same for me. That was my first film and my first time in a theater. So I'm just doing that for him. But what's interesting nice. is. And, and, I, and I, I, I don't talk about Star Wars. Star Wars doesn't get me excited. Uh, um, uh, I'm, I'm a, it's the film, and my friends are the people who worked on the film. I like the, the craft of it and the importance of it. It's, I don't care about Star Wars. I, I don't, it doesn't mean anything to me. Well, what about it's, your, it's um, an, you know, what about your mm -hmm. fan project, uh, Star Wars Legacy? I mean, you seem to be investing a lot in that. That's, that's for film history and cultural history's sake. Uh, um, that's, a, that's an extraordinarily important... The, look, the thing about Star Wars was I walked out of the movie theater at five years old wanting to write music for movies I, I, because, because I recognized that, at least for me, that the music and the visuals together had, had made me feel things that were really excited, and I wanted to be able to make other people feel that way. So the reason I keep all the Star Wars shit around me is to remind me about, about the... the the potential that film or art has to really make an impact in people's lives. I mean, this goofy little uh, science fiction film made it so that I never had to think a day in my life what I was going to do. It gave me purpose and clarity and set me on a life path. That's a huge gift. Yeah. And, and, and George Lucas doesn't even know who I am, really. <laughs> you know what I mean? So the idea that a film, that any art could, could mean that much to people is something I remind myself with as an artist. You know, what's why I want to always do my best because what if this is, you know, what if your little goofy something is the thing that makes a makes an impact on somebody's life. So this iconography around me is to remind me of my responsibility as an artist. And it does whatever whatever film that had been, that's what if it had been the fucking Godfather, I'd have horse heads around. <laughs> But it wasn't. It was Star Wars. And it wasn't just me whose life was changed by that film. Right. It was millions of people and an industry and, I mean, so many things. So, so I have a very personal uh, connection to the film. And culturally, we have a very – it's an important film. So, you, so yeah. are you hoping Legacy will have that sort of effect on somebody then? Like that they'll be able to show well, it to their kid? And I mean, you know, ultimately, you know, like I said, L Legacy – is is about preserving that film, that film which is otherwise gone. Yeah, and um, and and if and that's the film that did it, it the the one that's been whatever disavowed and has destroy orders on it and all that stuff. Uh, uh, th it's it's 
that's not like some obscure forgotten version of the film, like some like, you know, random edit that was on the cutting room floor that nobody was ever supposed to see for 20 years before anybody started fucking with it. That was the only version of Star Wars. Yeah. It's, it is Star Wars. It's the thing that made all of this happen. So the idea that the only part of this that matters is the part that's been jettisoned just seemed like a, a cultural irresponsibility to me and one that I just happened to have the the skill set and the personal drive or whatever to, you know, an interest to do something about. So I just sort of took it on. Um, and and my, my feeling was, I don't know what the future is going to be for it. I would love everybody to see it. I'd love it to be embraced as some sort of official something. I'm certainly working like that's, you know, the case. Mm-hmm. But But I know that Sooner or later, these these film elements are deteriorating. So somebody's got to save this. Let's save it and worry about it later. Yeah. Because um, if it's fifteen years, twenty years from now, and somebody goes, you know what, we really should bring that film back. What's well, twenty more years of deterioration on a negative that's already basically wrecked? So uh, so there's there's no time to waste. You need to get to it, and that's been my that's been my guiding principle for fifteen years. Are you a purist across the board? Like, do you listen to remastered albums or anything? Um, you know, a purist. I mean, I don't know. Um, <laughs> you know, I, wait, wait, I, no, I'm not a purist. Meaning, okay. um, meaning that, uh, I mean, sometimes. <laughs> yeah. It depends on the aesthetic approach to something. To, to me, to me, the X factor, the thing that 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 makes it so that not everybody is qualified to restore every Beatles album. There's only a handful of people in the world that would be truly qualified to remaster a Beatles album. And those would be the guys who were maybe there at the time or, you know, grew up in the era or were huge fans of it or had some sort of historical and aesthetic context for it so that they're not reinterpreting the idea, but they understand the aesthetic language of it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, because otherwise you're in there like, well, let's just make the bass drum louder because that'll sound cooler. And that, <laughs> so, so, so under the right circumstances where the people who are in charge of it, you know, have the aesthetic qualifications, then I guess I wouldn't be... I'm not going to be just doggedly because how do you even how do you it starts to get silly with where the yeah. line is you know well that piece of hair was always there so it's sacred <laughs> I, I, there's a there's a there, you know what I mean the hair isn't why Star Wars is why it is you have to be clear on the aesthetic of it so aesthetically I'm a purist but but not 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 in some sort of you know, I have mental problems. <laughs> no, I, mean, <laughs> I mean, like OCD or anything. Just um, yeah. But like, yeah. so like you brought brought the Beatles. Like, there's um, the I forget the producer's name. Is it George Martin? Um, yeah, yeah, right. Um, yeah, he sure. did that. Um, he did that love album where he remixed a bunch of their old songs into new songs. Or like Bob Dylan re- will rework a lot of his songs live and oh, everything. God. Somebody must have gone fucking ape shit. <laughs> Somebody must have been so angry about that. I bet a lot of people were angry about that. Um, but you know, but also on that, um, you know, there's, there's, we're living in a world right now where you know millions of of, of people without any particular creative uh, abilities have some place to play around and and, and be creative. You know, whether it's because uh, everybody can afford your piece of Apple software or uh, uh, you know or an HD camera, so that's good. But the the issue is that if if there was just um, George Lucas's fucking around with Star Wars version, but you could still get the original version, then who would care? Knock yourself out, do it in three D, and uh, you know, put just do all that goofy shit that people like to do to it. it there's nothing. It's not hurting anybody. It's mm-hmm. it's just you're just playing. I mean, I don't have 
I mean, one of those, there's these ones, these, this guy, I don't, I've never seen him, but I've, a friend of mine was telling us there's some guy who does all kinds of new, he puts new f- visual effects in original Star Wars. There's some guy who does that, yeah. right? Um, like, okay, whatever. <laughs> I mean, like, like, sure, like, you know, you have After Effects and you're in your bedroom. Sure, make make something out of it. I mean, it just, it's not, that's, it's not hurting anybody. Yeah. Um, uh, the issue is that all of that is happening in this vacuum where the original film, the thing that we should at least have as an anchor upon which to build all this creativity, has been disavowed and forgotten. So, so, so how do you feel about Harmy's project, the de- specialized edition where he takes the Blu-rays and he goes in and tries to no, take no, all I, stuff? Yeah, I helped Harmy. I mean, I oh, gave did? him references. Yeah, I, I gave him references and talked to him about stuff. Uh, I gave him some references from some of my scans and, you know, and I think right now, in terms of the publicly available stuff, I think that's the best one. Um, I mean, I'm sure it is. Uh, uh, you know, and 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 I get the, I understand the sentiment of it. People have, I've gotten a lot of shit over the years because people know about Legacy and then they find out I'm not releasing it and they're just, you dick. <laughs> you know? I'm like, well, I can't, first of all, because I've been told explicitly that <laughs> they'll raid my room in about 20 minutes if I do that. So, uh, um you know, I mean, I've worked for Lucasfilm. I've done a lot of official Star Wars stuff. So, uh, so I'm not stupid. I wouldn't just deliberately do the. I just wouldn't do that. Um, but also, you know, uh, we start to get into that territory where a lot of people. We just know a lot of people do it so that they. Everybody wants to feel important. Everybody wants to have recognition. You know, some people uh, fucking carve their initials on public toilet seats and some people <laughs> put the flag on the moon we you know there's there's this in inborn human nature I, i'm here i was here i matter and for a lot of people obviously in, in in a fan restoration community having their thing out there and having people you know they always make sure their name are on it they right? make sure their names in the credits it's there's a lot of that going on um uh so and i have no interest in any of that that none of that means anything to me i i uh I want people to see the legacy, but my primary goal is to, to, to have that version of the film preserved somewhere in the highest possible quality I could conceive of and then go through official channels and give everybody an opportunity to just take it. I'm just going to, I'm just going to say here, you know, we'll see. Well, what are you doing with it? You're like, you're taking it from the laser disc, right? No, 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 no. Uh, legacy is built from a number of 35 millimeter film scans. Oh, really? Oh yeah, and uh, yeah, several. I mean, and um, scanned multiple facilities, multiple times, multiple exposures. Um, you know, yeah. I mean, uh, and then uh, you know, also a lot of help from the original production crew. Um, hmm. You know, uh, uh, lots of the guys. Um, you know, if I have, if I'm working on a matte painting, uh, I talk to Harrison Ellenshaw, painted them, and he gives me, you know, all sorts of references and help and to make sure that it's accurate and uh, you know so i get to talk to all the people who worked on it and and um if i have a question about the exposure of the stars in a star field or uh how bright the paint on the ships is supposed to appear i can talk to the guys and say so what what is it supposed to be and um that's been super helpful so yeah i mean uh, i undertook legacy in earnest because i got to a point where i just realized that there was not going to be a better source of materials. And I've had software developed over the, you know, and techniques over the last 15 years. So I have a, 
a unique process of recruiting data from multiple scans across multiple frames. So I can recover color and detail that was never seen on any, any print. Hmm. Um, and in some cases is probably approaching the negative and in some odd and unusual cases, we know it's surpassing the negative, um, for, for reasons. Um, uh, as weird as that sounds. So, <laughs> you know, uh, when, uh, like I said, when I realized that I could do a version that, that, that would rival or better what I'd be able to do if somebody handed me the original negative, when I thought I was within the, hmm, then I, that's when I really dove deep into it because I thought, okay, well, this is it. It's not going to get better than this. So, How do you reach out to those people just through like your connections you've made through your jobs? Those people are out there. They're out there, and uh, the reason that most of them came forward to me, I had to do very little work. Most of them came to me, private collectors from all over the world, um, who had, of course, the selfish interest in preserving their own prints, usually. Mm-hmm. Um, and then usually secondarily, a sort of cultural, you know, contribution they wanted to make. Um, but mostly just their prints were going to deteriorate and they wanted them <laughs> safe. Uh, but the reason that they came to me and not any other number of, uh, you know, fan rest- restorers was one, I was a professional and two, I wasn't releasing it. Mm-hmm. So the very thing that people have been most critical of, and I've said this so many times, the thing that people were most critical of this, you know, this secrecy and my being a big cock tease about the whole thing. I've said, yeah, that's the reason legacy has what it has. It's, 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 you can't have it both ways. And, and everyone who reached out to me was explicitly clear about that point. They just said, look, you know, we don't, I don't want people coming after me. I don't want this. Is, I just want this thing safe. I think star Wars should exist. And, and that's been true about the the uh, collectors and all of the many software companies that have given me support and and funding and other things along the way and facilities that have uh, you know, done cleaning and scanning. Um, you know they've all they've all had some measure of well we want to you know we want to help Star Wars we want to help your project and we think you mean it and uh, so. How would they find you? Just through the normal like fan communities? Well, because uh, yeah, I mean, I was around a while, and people watch, man. There's, you know, there's, uh, there's, you know, those guests on those forums, those yeah. IP <laughs> numbers are often, you know, all, all the. I mean, I don't think, I don't think I've talked to any one of the reasonably socially media active um, crew members from the first film who haven't been to original trilogy at some point. Really. Yeah, because because they feel very strongly about their work being, you know, given the the, the shaft. Oh, that's true. I didn't even think about that. Uh, oh yeah, no. I mean, you know, they they worked hard, and they all usually have. It's weird for a lot of them, um, you know, they've worked hard on it and have a, a Oscars on the mantle for a film that nobody wants that doesn't exist anymore. Right. You know, it's like it's like, well, we didn't get this Oscar for you know for, we got it for a reason, you know, and and that. So you can try to erase it, but the people still exist and the merits and, uh, of it still exist and the history of it still exists. So all I'm doing is just completing this the puzzle there. Yeah. yeah. Um, so how, how did you come upon original trilogy? Was that before you decided to uh, do this or was it after? No, I don't think so. I think it was after. I had made the decision as soon as I saw... 
it's going back now. I'd have to, you'd have to look at my join date for original trilogy, but I think the join date was in 2004. And, and the truth is as soon as special edition, whenever the first special edition stuff came out, I think that was 97, but that could be wrong. But as soon as things started to get updated on it, I knew, I, I knew what was going to happen. And, uh, and my first versions of my restoration were based on things like, like, like the laser disc, uh, I had gotten a hold of the, like the master digital master tapes that from the for the laser discs and, oh, wow. uh, um, and so I so my first versions were just working on that. I've actually done this restoration like like three times already. Oh, so that was good training for the big one. Yeah. yeah, it just occurred to me the post I was reading about the laser disc might have been from like ten years ago, actually. Yeah, probably. Yeah, probably. Yeah, yeah. And you know, when it started, that's where it was, and I was doing it was a very different process. Um, and, uh, and of course back then there's so many things have improved in the technology, both in terms of scanning and the kind of materials that have come forward and also just leaps in image processing and other things. I have friends at, at, uh, at various, uh, universities, um, uh, around the world that work in image processing and, you know, advanced, um, research in that who've written plugins and implemented ideas to, to help me to recruit the most out of the data. And a lot of those things are right on the edge. Um, things that we didn't even have two years ago are are heavily a part of of, of legacy by this point. Um, Has there been any sort of media coverage of this at all? Because it's some sort of amazing the amount of people that are working on this. Yeah, um, well, it's just me doing the work. It's a lot of people building the tools. Uh, you know, it's a little like Jeff Goldblum and the Fly. You know, just <laughs> he just has people build the parts and he puts them together. Must well, be like the fact uh, that the, like the original. Like original uh, oh, yeah, designers yeah. and stuff are... You know, uh, you know uh, because it's, uh, it's a big internet, man. Um, yeah. And, you know, Harmies uh, gets the press, and I'm good. Um, <laughs> I don't need the press. Uh, uh, if, because what's, what are you going to do with it anyway? Just have 800 million people who are all upset at me. <laughs> no. um, the truth is, if, uh, if, if something uh, comes legacy, everybody will know about it. And that's the only time it matters. And until then... You know, I have a Vimeo channel and I have the forum. Yeah. And people come and they look at it and they get an idea for it and and uh, see the work. And I, I, ninety nine point nine percent of the feedback that I get is is positive and encouraging. Um, so, um, so that's just that. But I'm not in it for the. I mean, I don't. You know, like I said, things go. I've had certain things, uh, you know, go more viral than others in my career, and you can never really predict it. Right. But I just think at this point, you know, there's there's sort of the, like the one that gets the attention is Harmy's project, and rightfully so. And um, I think it would be weird for people to be like, okay, but wait, actually, <laughs> you know what I mean? It would just, like, okay, forget all those articles we wrote. Turns out there's another one. I mean, yeah, on some places. But when I look at the analytics for my Vimeo channel, it's never, it doesn't explode. It'll get these Reddit spikes. It'll get these, like, <laughs> right. these, like suddenly one day there's 7,000 views on a video. I'm like, what the fuck happened? And it's, there's a Reddit link, you know? Yeah. So I'll get those. Uh, but, um, you know, but mostly I think, you know, other than just appreciating it, if there's no, and click here to buy, I, I think people will then fuck you. What do they care? I mean, it's, it's interesting, kind of though, like the fact that people from the original set are like reaching out to you and like talking to you about it and helping you out, like giving you original map pings. Like, this is, I mean, 
Harmony Sync is interesting for a number of reasons, but mostly because it's available. But yours is interesting because, like, this is, like, totally legit. Like, working with as much right. as possible without an original negative. Like, going as deep as you right. can really go. Right. It just seems like it's yeah. an interesting story. Well, and, and you know, I'm shooting, a, I, mean, I guess this is sort of, uh, this is probably narcissistic, but I'm <laughs> shooting a little documentary on the process of it because of how much has been involved. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, and at some point uh, that'll just be a little, it's just, that's just going to go on a shelf somewhere in case somebody wants to know how that all went down. Like a behind um, the scenes sort of thing in case they release it? Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, it, it, whatever. I mean, I don't know. But it, ultimately, it's been a long process and it's uh, expensive and it's had a lot of players in it. And so it just seemed to me that, like, well, there is another story in there. Um, so. But don't you think I'm you could use the press or use that documentary to try and get more pressure to say, like, against George Lucas, said, like, hey, this exists. Will you please release it? I, I, you know, my, my, my pathway for legacy is that once I've decided that it's truly finished, um, I have plenty of friends at Disney and Fox, uh, to go to and just say, so about this, and then they'll do with it what they'll do. And, um, but what if it's nothing know, though? Like, don't you want to put some pressure on them? Um, do I want to put pressure on them? Like, just you like know, by the, making people aware so people can demand it, like, and say, uh, like, you know, I, my the, my experience with it is, I guess the short answer is no, I don't want to do that. But my my experience with it is that if it exists and it's done, and the, when the website is finished, you'll be able to scroll through every shot of the film and see every shot where it currently is, and where it has been restored in Legacy, and and if something's going to go viral, if something's going to get linked that would be the thing that I would want people to link to because then it's the whole story. Then if there's somebody going to put pressure on it, that's because they've gone to the site and they've gone, holy shit, this entire film has been done and it looks way, way better than what's out there. It's completely ready to go and nobody will give it to us. If that is all laid out in front of people, then that has a higher chance of generating any kind of pressure. But by the same token, original trilogy has been around for at least 11 years that I'm aware of, and it never amounted to anything right. other than its own community of interesting people doing their own interesting projects, but it never accomplished its goal. <laughs> um, so, so, you know, I, I, so I, I would just be a little bit, I would be a little bit remiss in thinking that I'm going to better what that community of however many people strong has been unable to do in, in more than a decade. But again, if it's going to happen, I think the way it's going to happen is let it all just let it all be there. Let them see that it is a click away and uh, and then let that generate whatever passion. I, my passion goes into doing the work. I'm going to kind of leave it on to other people's passions to convince corporate types that they'll spend money for it. Um, assuming that corporate types don't do exact don't just look at at the project and go, oh, yeah, it's done. It's great. Let's just think of a way to multi just to really cash in on it. And there's a way to do it. But, you know, if they're inclined, they'll do it. If not, I, I don't know. I don't know if online petitions and yelling will do it, but maybe. But the best chance for that has to be it's got to be finished and clearly, you know, not just a handful of videos on Vimeo. It's got to be something to see. But if you but if they do just do mm -hmm. nothing with it, like, what do you do? <laughs> uh, what what will happen? It will love to fight for another uh, fight another day. Um, there's all plans in all, there's some, there's many official, uh, bodies of, uh, preservation and history and 
restoration that uh, will have an archived copy of the project. And, um, you know, and uh, I believe it's only a matter of time. So, um, you know, if, if they take a swipe at it today, well, maybe they'll have a, a different uh, feeling uh, next quarter when the stock prices are low. Like, you never know. <laughs> Nobody would have ever predicted that George Lucas would cash the fuck out of Star Wars and sell it to Disney. It's you true. couldn't have seen that coming, ever. Yeah. Uh, so it's a crazy world. And, that, and I, I've said, so, like, I'm not going to try to predict that. But I know that until it's done, that's job one is get it done. Job two is try to get it out there. If not today, maybe tomorrow. If not tomorrow, maybe the next day. If not next day, maybe next week. Maybe next month. Maybe next year. Maybe five, ten years. But sooner or later, um, uh, uh, I, I just I feel it's impossible to to suppress something that culturally valuable forever. Um, you know, Disney doesn't think so. Disney is is planning on doing the new theme park stuff that they're doing purely based on the new films without any any real nod to the original trilogy but we'll that. see that's weird yeah yeah i had a, some friends who had been originally contracted to do concept design work for these disney theme parks and originally they were there to do original trilogy inspirations and then at some point they all got fired and dismissed and and the word was that no disney decided that these only want them to be based on the new films um that's, a, that's just that's hearsay but it's from people who were fired so you know from Right. They've been hired and then we're told we're not going to do that anymore. So that's pretty, probably pretty reliable. Yeah. Um, I hadn't heard that. That's really strange. Yeah. Well, you know, it's, uh, you know, they, they are, they're crafting it. They're craft, they're building a brand. They're yeah. trading in on the equity of a name. Um, but and, you think there'd be a lot more interest in the original, in like something based on the original trilogy there too. Like something at least. I mean, right now, you know, like I said, Star Wars continues to, if you go to fucking Williams Sonoma and you get a cookie cutter, it's all original trilogy stuff. Yeah. You know? it's, that's still the thing that is Star Wars. And what I assume they're gambling on, look, <laughs> if they're building theme parks already before a frame of that film has come out, then that means that they already know that it doesn't matter. The public will eat whatever's put in their mouths. They already know it's a win-win, that they can make those films. They just have to blanket the landscape, carpet bomb the social you know, uh, consciousness with it, and just make it so that you just can't get away from Star Wars and you surrender. Oh, fuck, okay, well, this is Star Wars now, and then I'm going to go see it, and everybody will go see it. I mean, that, that's the only business model they, they must be running. Otherwise, you would not be building billions of dollars worth of theme park stuff on a film that hasn't come out yet. That means that the film, its actual quality is a given, hmm. which means it doesn't matter what it is. It's not like they've seen the film and gone, we're 100%, this is the next Star Wars, we're gonna launch 40 more years off of it, trust me, it's that good, so let's just break ground on these theme parks. That's not even remotely what's happening. What's happening is they know, they have it worked out on the, on the spreadsheet that you know what? We're going to make this a thing. They're not going to be able to get away with it. It's the power of Disney. That's how they. That's how they open these films that are pieces of shit that still make a billion dollars. Right. You could. You could just carpet bomb every bus station and billboard and magazine insert and, and just run a thousand teasers today. And and people, it's sort of like I guess we're all going to see Avengers 19. Like you just sort of can't. And it doesn't matter that it's off the radar in five minutes. That's okay. We got another one. We'll just do it again. We'll just keep you in it. We'll just keep you in it. So do um, you just, the, <laughs> sorry, but do you just completely resent the entire industry you're in? 
Uh, I present it. No, but I'm aware of it. I've worked in it, made a living in it for 30 years. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, it's populated by the, just the shittiest people you could possibly imagine. <laughs> I, I, I'm just like, yeah. oh, God, such uh, – just, oh, like every day you see people that just, you just think, God, somebody needs to kill this person for the betterment of humanity. <laughs> um, that's just – that's what it is when yeah. – and you sort of – you come to accept that. That it's cutthroat and it's you know and it, people just sell each other out and they it's just about the money and all that stuff and if you can't deal with that you can't have a career in this business but um, but you also uh, you know I, I think can't you have to make a uh, some sort of decision in your professional life about where you're going to just do the things that'll get you jobs and money and where you start to think about what you're going to leave behind. Mm-hmm. And and you know when you're young you do whatever I mean I did all kinds of stuff in the beginning of my career um, and worked in advertising and still do sometimes advertising work advertising is the art of lying right up to the edge of legal actionability that's what it is you just lie and misrepresent and deceive people and then you just put underneath it results not typical you know do <laughs> right. not attend professional driver uh, some restrictions apply not available in all areas past performance does not indicate future return you just put the little thing down there that says yeah none of this is real but it sounded good didn't it now buy it send more money i, I saw like your, <laughs> i saw your blog post about making the uh, commercial for the one of those yeah, cars man. but it sounds uh, like you directed it. it sounds like you had fun directing it well you know uh, that was a rare you know when i was i've done a lot of commercials for mattel recently and what's great about it is mattel, it's this bizarre uh, it's this bizarre alternate universe where a major corporation has left a creative person alone. It never <laughs> happens. And it actually happened uh, a couple of years ago with Disney. I had done a bunch of music videos for they had done like these, uh, like there's this, um, who were they? Uh, they were those, uh, you know, when DJs do a tune, uh, like there's a thing from Frozen. They did a remix of that, uh, of, uh, of that tune from Frozen. And this like, one from uh, Tron by Avicii had done a, uh, you know, what do you call those things? Anyway, I had done some music videos for them. They were playing them at, uh, you know, at uh, EDC, and, uh, and they just left me alone. They just said, okay, we just need a video. And nobody said anything. There was no committees. There was no reviews. There was no focus groups. I mean, it was amazing. I was like, what's going on? You know, and, and, of course, they, they did pretty well because we know what we're doing sometimes. Uh, uh, you know, and uh, so, so in the cases where I think people you know, who have actual abilities uh, – get an opportunity to do something creative, you can usually turn out something good. It's just that normally there's 9,000 people involved telling you how to do your job and they're usually shitty people on top of it. Um, so, so again, yeah, it's, you know, I, I don't resent the industry, but I don't have any illusions about what it is and the kind of people that are in it. And, you know, um, you know, uh, I'll tell you, it's just a short anecdote. Um, uh, one of the producers of did you did you like the Chris Nolan Batman movies? Uh, some of them are okay. <laughs> some of them okay, right? Yeah. Um, um, one of the producers uh, we were fr- friends. Of the we were out to dinner with one of the producers one night, and 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 obviously a very successful producer. Who's we? Sorry, uh, as me and my at the time wife. Oh, okay. Um, uh, um, and uh, and she she and his daughter were friends, and so that's how it all worked out. And we were having dinner, and I was talking to him and you know he was a, he had grown up his whole life a huge batman fan so he was super excited about and it's not the only thing he's produced he's produced lots of things mm-hmm. but um you know I was asking him about about changes in the industry I was asking him about that and what he told me he said you know when I he said when I started as a producer the guys at the studios would usually be people who'd had degrees in literature 
or drama or they knew something about stories and storytelling. And they might be frustrated filmmakers or editors, but if nothing else, uh, they, they had a sense of film. They had a sense of drama. They had a sense and a respect for, for the storytelling aspects of it. Whereas now, he said, at the studios are run by some 26-year-old kid who's seen a lot of movies, the oldest of which is Tommy Boy. And that was his exact quote. Not even and, Star Wars. <laughs> right. So, so, you know, so he was just talking about a transformation in the industry at, the, at that top level. And, um, and that's real. And you have to acknowledge that, especially if you want to work, because you have to be able to talk to these people and, and win their confidence and be likable and, and on top of being talented. So you can't just go in there with bitterness and resentment against everybody. You'll never get through a meeting. Yeah. Um, uh, but, you know, it's and also, you know, at, at, at some point when you realize that that you, you can do the dog and pony show and you can say what needs to be said and you can get a job and you can make a relationship and you can be at all the parties and show up at the right red carpet ones and not the bullshit ones and you learn all that stuff, then there comes a point at which, you know, I, hopefully you earn enough security that you go, yeah, but, you know, like, what am I doing? <laughs> like, 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 do I really just want to do this? Because these, you know, and for us, a lot of people, if, uh, if the money holds out, you know, then, then, then they, they just, just have fewer and fewer mirrors in their house or more and more rationalizations for it. Um, but, uh, but you know, I just wasn't one of those people. So I've drifted away from, you know, the Hollywood thing and then been moving more toward doing my own stuff for that reason. So, you know. What's your own stuff? Is it more just like the Mattel and the Disney stuff or is it like... No, I mean, I do stuff? a lot of directing, but directing is, is uh, when I direct commercials, it's because they're, they're great testing zones with low... There's not a whole lot of eyes on them. I mean, I, 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 they allow me to practice for doing features. I'm going to be producing my own features, producing and directing my own features. Oh, cool. Um, because, uh, you know, I mean, there's just, um, I've just done the jobs for so many. I've been an editor and I've done script work and I've directed forever and, and done sound design. And obviously I'm a composer and I've, I work visual effects freelance constantly. So, you know, at some point you just realize, yeah, you know, I can kind of do all this. <laughs> sort of think, like I'm sort of doing this for everybody. Um, and, uh, and commercials, I always felt like, I always had a lot more confidence in doing a commercial because I thought, well, I'm not going to fuck it up. I mean, it's a fucking commercial. Like, <laughs> yeah, no one's watching it correctly. You know, I just, it's like, you know, and you, your, your critic, your critique is whether or not the product sells. And I always, yeah. I have a sort of commercial sense anyway. So my commercials have always done well, but I've also always felt like, okay, but this isn't like it really matters. And <laughs> yeah. somehow with a, with a film, I've always sort of felt like that. And I don't know, somewhere in the last few years, I just sort of thought like, well, I don't think there's any reason to wait anymore. We should just start uh, doing that. So that's what I'm moving toward. What kind of films are you thinking about doing? Well, uh, you know, I mean, I will always have a sci-fi bent toward them, <laughs> but, the, uh, but um, mostly because I like the idea of what I like about sci-fi beyond just the lasers and shit um, is, is that I like the idea that when you start to put something in an alien or foreign environment, it actually helps focus the important elements, the drama and the story and the characters, um, because because the, they're they're separated from a familiar environment. It's like it's it just makes it more ubiquitous to talk about a, a, a duplicitous person in that alien context than it is if he works for the government. You sort of expect it in the government. You're not. A, it's just not the same. Mm -hmm. um, but 
you know, great movies, all the great lasting ones are, are character based. Yeah. So, so, so I really like strong characters and, and I have, you know, themes that I want to talk about. I, I have a, a script that's really about class warfare and another one that's sort of about uh, gender equality. And I have three that are sort of about whether man is really God's special creature or whether we're really nothing or whether it's what we make of it. I mean, I have a number of ideas. When do um, you do all this? Like you just mentioned like five or six scripts. You're doing the legacy yeah. thing. You're doing scores. You're doing yeah. commercials. Yeah. I uh, don't sleep a lot. Um, <laughs> but, you know, but I also, uh, I also do, uh, you know, I also do a sort of thing where, I mean, I have the luxury of it anyway, where I've done enough of those jobs over enough years that if like my creative well is dry for music, which happens sometimes, I just sit at the <laughs> piano and it's like I've never played. There's probably a visual effects job that I, I could grab. Somebody is like, you know, looking, we're looking for lighting guys. And so I can just go, you know what, I'm going to go spend lighting a, week, a couple of weeks lighting. And that gets that thing sharp again. And then I start to miss music. And then I, so I just sort of play whack-a-mole with my stuff. Um, and, and the truth is they're all the same thing, man. Directing is exactly like writing music. And writing music is exactly like editing. You either know how to connect to people or you don't. And if you know how to connect with people and you understand them, you know how to talk to them and you have a sense of drama, the whether or not you're doing it with a paintbrush or whether you're doing it with music is really secondary. Yeah, those are skills you, ha you have to pick up, um, the mechanics of it. But ultimately, you know, a, a good composer knows if his piece is going, to, is going to have an emotional impact on people. It's not a big fucking mystery. He doesn't just put it out in the world and go, well, geez, I hope people like it. Yeah. If you're really in control of your craft, you know exactly the degree to which people are going to like it. And you know the degrees to which you deliberately pushed on the boundaries. Again, you're not 100% sure, but you gave them lots of comfort zones. So hopefully they'll stay with you as you go into those other places you wanted to explore. That's exactly the same as when you uh, are, are doing something visually or writing a script or, or thinking up dialogue. You're always thinking about, well, what do, what do I know that will work so that people are comfortable and trust me and listen to what I say? And then where can I now take them that they didn't expect? What can I do? Uh, it's, it's always a good idea to start your story once upon a time because people breathe. Oh, it's <laughs> one of those stories. Yeah. You know, it, but then the degree to which you throw them a curveball, that's your, that's your unique voice and all that stuff. So, I mean, do you so actually, yeah. well, sorry, do you actually like consume anything? Do you actually like enjoy watching movies or television anymore? Oh, or? sure. I, well, I watch old stuff. Um, okay. I don't want, I mean, I check in on new stuff from time to time, but the quality of, of craft is so low everywhere now. Dialogue just is stilted and even col I do, I'm, I'm color correcting a film right now. Uh, and, uh, and you know, that's a, an art unto itself. Right. Um, and, uh, you know, and I watch like a lot of the Netflix series and the fucking shots are all over the map. They're just like, they're just, they're, there's no consistency to them. And they're, they're all like solarized and overexposed or underexposed, or they all have that one look where everything's teal and orange and the shadows yeah. are all for the blue green. And it's just like, Jesus, man, it's a mess out there. Um, so, uh, so I mostly watch stuff by true masters, you know, I mean, um, and, and that's right. That's what I had the respect for. Uh, and, um, you know, and you go back and watch 
the way that camera work was done in the 40s and 50s, where, a sh where every shot might be a minute or two minutes long instead of 20 seconds long. Yeah. And you see, God, they staged it so well. And this is a two shot, but then they went to the wide and they went to the close up and it's one shot. You didn't even realize it. They had to block that out and the waiter came and then this action moved to the camera and this look motivated this move. And it's just like, this is a ballet. This is a fucking dance. This is beautiful. And I didn't even realize it was happening. I was just watching the movie. And yeah. so, so yeah, there's so much of that to be found in work that's been essentially forgotten. That um, I, that's where I would rather look at it because I always turn off the TV or you know stop listening to music and 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 have seen such a level of craft that I'm depressed and think I should just get out of this business. <laughs> and <laughs> that's that how I always want to feel. That's what I mean. It doesn't sound like you can actually enjoy anything anymore. Almost. <laughs> yeah. No, it's not even true. I I, I enjoy tremendously. I mean, okay. you know, it's just no, not at all. Okay. Um, <laughs> Uh, and, you know, but 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 if I'm going to go see a movie now, you know, and, and this is the thing is it's very hard for me to go to a movie and and in the first two minutes, you know, just see just such just see film school day one mistakes, yeah. you know, in a multi billion dollar feature. It's just like, oh, come on, you can't do that. Like just somebody's got to you got to know something or you can't just roll. What the fuck It's hard for me to get over that? Yeah. Um, so, uh, so I don't go see a lot of new movies, but you know, if there's a great movie, I mean, I'm not immune to, I'll get as excited and freaked out about it as anybody else. I love movies. What's the uh, last new great movie you saw? <laughs> like one that I would say to this day that from the minute I walked out of the theater, I was like, that was fucking great. Yeah. The most there will recent. Be, there, there will be blood. Okay. So you actually do enjoy well. like fairly experimental and boundary pushing stuff too. That was a, that's a fucking great film. Yeah. That's a great film. And, and, I, and I walked out of it and I was quiet for like three hours because I couldn't tell how I felt about it. It had just assaulted me. I had to go see it again, yeah. um, which I think is one of those movies. But I just remember just being like, like that movie, you know, and I t generally feel that way about... Uh, uh, like maybe Tarantino films usually have all kinds of stuff in them. I wish I'd thought of, mm -hmm. um, but, uh, and you know what? I really dug the first, uh, the first, um, three quarters of the first Iron Man movie. <laughs> yeah. Like oh, before I remember, it just fell apart into the action scenes and stuff. At the end, I was just, I was like, uh, yeah, okay. well, fine, whatever. But I remember when I first saw the first Iron Man, I was just like, yes i was like there you go it's got just the right thing that's that were you know and i was i saw that in theater like like six times i hadn't done that since raiders um so i really dug that one and then i wasn't after that after them but um well what do you think of uh, sorry what do you think of johnny greenwood's score for early blood you know i mean it's uh uh i mean it's sort of uh, it's mostly aleatoric you know it's based on the sort of sounds and interesting stuff the poor, uh, um, I mean, I don't, I didn't buy it. Can you even buy it? I didn't buy it. I know everything that he did from a musician standpoint. And it's like, okay, that's kind of a cool, I wouldn't have ever thought to do that. Like that's different. And, and, um, and I, I, the rest of the film was so left of center that I think it wouldn't have made sense to have a, a traditional structured score for it. It just, I don't think it would have made sense. And yeah. I couldn't have thought of that score. So I respected it and I liked it in the film. I was never distracted by it. It did its job, which was to under to underpin and support the drama. And the drama just happened to be tense and different. So um so as a thing, I mean I I dig it in context. Musically it's it's not, you know, my type of thing, but respected it and uh and mostly, you know, thought it was perfectly appropriate for that 
I feel the same way about, you know, Scorsese hardly uses scores. It's mostly source music. Well, same with Tarantino, um, yeah. Yeah, but they're, you know, but I mean, they are chosen, they're thought of, they're exactly, they capture that they do their job dramatically. They set the scene right away, and that's its job. So, I, so I'm with it, it works. I don't care what it is, so long as it works. Yeah. You know? Um, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, it's... Um, you know, it's just not it's just not grumpy old man, uh, 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 you know, just thinking that everything new sucks. No, I wasn't trying to indicate that. <laughs> no, and, but 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 it's a, but it's a, that's but that is that's a, a pitfall. Yeah, you know, we, we, we can't ever stop learning. You can't ever stop being ready to, for new ideas and new ways of doing things. But but people who think that there hasn't been a, a, a just a good old fashioned, quantifiable, measurable plummeting of skill are wrong. The actual just skills have gone way down. And there's no veteran or powerhouse with a reputation in this industry who won't at least say that in private conversation. Well, you mentioned, so, um, yeah. you mentioned in your one podcast about how, about like the proliferation of plugins, all these people getting into visual effects and how right. anybody right. can really do it. But then right. as time went on, like you had to have the skill again. So you think we've gone back to not really needing the yeah. skill? It's, it's been like it's like this. Uh, the way it's happened is, and we saw this. This has happened in a lot of ways. It's happening in music now. To, visual effects was about ten years ahead of it, but you know, at the point that uh, um, it became about computers, a lot of people with traditional skill sets got left behind because they weren't comfortable computers and they didn't want. They didn't know how to use them, and there was the tools that were available in computers couldn't really weren't at all approximations of their real tools, and. But there's such a love affair with using computers that to this day, you know, there's a lot of stuff that's done where people will go to the CG for no reason. Right. It's like, well, we just want to do that CG. And, 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 and I can't tell you how many times people have, have started a project and they just come to us and say, just what's the newest thing you have? We'll find an excuse for it. Yeah. Just pull it. And that's exactly ass backwards for how to create a dramatic moment. But that's where it comes from. So in those early days, when you had young people coming up who maybe didn't have a craft or didn't have the skill, but they did know how to work the computer, and uh, you know, then then somebody would okay, well then they get the job. That's how I got into it. I hadn't gone to art school. I couldn't draw anything. Um, so so uh, I got you know shuttled in there because I was uh, comfortable with computers and uh, you know and you sort of figure it out as you go. And so there was this sort of dip. Um, and now the skill set, the tool sets, digital tool sets have gotten good, good enough that a lot of the veterans can now come back and start to work digitally. And, um, and, and so you're seeing the skill level go up. But, to, but still to this day, right now, if you're in a visual effects house, you've got guys who are texture and lighting guys. The guys who have done photography are always the best ones. The ones who've actually been out and had to photograph things and see the way that light behaves in the world um, are, are the ones who are best at manipulating the digital tool set uh, to, to, to compose images. Right. So, and, and most of your best, best animators are the ones who've done traditional animation. Yeah. And most of your best matte painters, I have good friends, are guys who you can take the computer and throw out the window and give them a <laughs> pencil and they can do it. Um, and that's true across the board. That's true, uh, you know, people who've, who can sit at a piano with a piece of paper and write music, um, give them the power of these tools and plugins, and, and it's like, oh, this is great. But just having the plugins doesn't shortcut you from 30 years of that. Yeah, so, it depresses me with um, colleges a lot of times, like the one I've been, the one I was going to my master's for, they brag about having 
only digital equipment and getting rid of all their film equipment. It's sort of like you're just right. learning the shortcuts. You're not learning how anything actually affects anything, right. like why these things are really. Right. right. And, you know, and again, a, a tool is going to, any tool is going to be completely different in the hands of an amateur versus somebody with decades of experience. Mm -hmm. I mean, I mean, a, a scalpel in the hand of a veteran surgeon is completely different than a guy who's been in med school for two weeks. Same right. fucking scalpel. A complete one leads to death. One leads to life. <laughs> So, you know, that, that, that everybody has a Avid or Final Cut Pro doesn't make them Thelma Shoemaker. It just doesn't, you know, um, and, you know, and the, uh, I mean, this is a, a whole tangential conversation, but the, 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 the problem with being younger and not being experienced and having these tools is that it actually robs you of an important limitation that you need to, to, oh. to focus your skill set when you can always... You know, when you can always just control Z it, um, it's like when we shoot commercials, you know, uh, uh, when I started to shoot commercials, it was on film. You can't just roll and roll and roll and roll and roll. You've only got so much film and, you know, it takes time to load the magazines. And plus, you can't see it on an HD monitor. The fucking DP has to know how to, they just go, no, that's going to look great. And you just have to trust them. Yeah. And because you can't roll and roll and roll, you got to take time and block it and get the color right and get those actors, get their performances. And, you know, and when you grow up that way, when you come up that way, it focuses and hones your creative skills. You, you cause, because you have those limitations right. and you learn to trust your instincts because you don't have time and you learn to rely on other people's skills because you can't check their work, all those things. And you've only got, you know, this, this much of, uh, of ability to do anything about it after work. If the color isn't right, you, you can't do like you did today where you just, oh, we'll change it to blue. You can't do that. <laughs> so when you have those skills and, and then you get the digital tool set, then it's like, oh, this is fucking way easier. Yeah. But you still know how to do it. But if you don't have that, then you see this thing where we'll just keep rolling and rolling and rolling. And there's this sort of like, well, I don't know, we can paste it together. We can put two performances together or we can just do all the coloring in Da Vinci later or like we can brighten it or darken. And there's this sort of like nobody's committed to it, which means that they haven't had to do the real thinking about it and make the smart choices about it and make sure those are the real ones because this is it, Jack. You don't get it. That's it. So, you know, now that forces you to think about the drama. Is this the really important part to put the, you know, the, the camera? Is this the really important line? Because I can't just bring in another performance and cut it in half and splice it and composite it later. It's got to be now. So you, you think with more purpose and direction. And now it's sort of like, you know, well, whatever, whatever. And so you see a lot of things that are shot that are real shitty. And everybody's just, we'll just color it all later. We'll make it orange and teal later. And we'll put these two performances together. And the shots are real short now. So yeah. you only need this. Like, you see, watch people's YouTube videos. And you see this thing where they can only talk for four seconds and they need to edit. <laughs> right. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it starts me crazy. Like, I mean, it was and revolutionary. It's a sentence. Yeah. yeah. It was revolutionary when Godard was doing fucking uh, jump cuts and breathless. But now it's like just everything right. is jump cuts. Well, it's like, it, well, it's like you can't talk. Yeah. It's like you literally can't get a sentence. You can't get a cohesive thought out for 10 seconds without having to cut four times. I've listened to another podcast where you can tell, too, like the person's cutting up their own, like, sentence, yeah. too. Like, even just audio. Like, they can't just right. redo it for some reason. Right. So, you know, so there's, so all, so those things have, you know, I mean, I, I feel they've robbed a generation of, and of, of some important lim limitations are good for creatives. Oh, yeah. We bitch about them. We bitch about not having enough time and not having enough money. But man, sometimes that's how you learn. That's how you learn to be most creative and to trust instincts and to figure out what really matters. Because you can't just, I mean, what in the world is good when you can have all you want of everything you want? You know what I mean? Yeah. That's, 
that's not good for anything. Um, so, uh, so, you know, you, you do an edit and you can just, I don't know, control Z. No, I'll do it a different way. Do it. You know, maybe that first one was that the, the, the good one, the one that had your instincts. But then you get off the phone with your girlfriend and, you know, and you're like, she's a bitch. And then you change the edit because you're in a bad mood. Well, yeah. if you'd had to splice that and think about it, you're not just going to go back and pull the tape and do all that bullshit. <laughs> and that edit will survive. And then three, those three other opportunities that you'll have to second guess yourself and maybe fuck up that first good instinct won't happen and the good thing will go through. But now you can just blow it out. Yeah. And so I think a lot of good work and it gets lost that way. I mean, I just, like I said, it's just too much power without the experience. It's, I, I think it, it actually robs people of something. All right. Well, we've been talking for just over an hour. I am yeah, curious. You're talking to a, you know, yeah. yeah. You're talking to a guy with a six hour podcast. So your hour is. Not. Yeah. I am curious now, though. Like, how much do you sleep each night? <laughs> you know, I have a kid, too. I have a four year old. Yeah. Um, so I actually uh, sleep in, uh, in, um, like shifts. Um, I sort of do, no, it's true. I do like this, uh, like very how often. Many? Well, there's a, uh, if you, you know, I, when I first came across hearing about this idea of a second sleep, first sleep and second sleep that was done, you know, hundreds of years ago, yeah. I sort of felt better about it because that's very often what it, what it is, is I sort of sleep when I'm tired and, and it, it, I don't, it's different from day to day. Yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, I mean, I also do a lot of work in my sleep. That's just one thing. I don't dream. I, I dream the work. So I'll, a lot of times, um, like if I have a problem or something, like if I'm working on a, a motion graphics thing and I can't figure out how to do it, I'll just, you know, if I'm tired, just go to sleep. And then I'll just think it while I'm sleeping. And then I wake up and go do it. And so it's not really wasted time. Um, Are you ever, but, like, you know, exhausted though? Like, doesn't ever exhaust no, you? No, no, I, 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 no. What I do energizes me. I love what I do. I love what I do. So, do you ever so like as fall- much as I bitch about it? Yeah. <laughs> do you ever like go to a movie and like fall asleep or anything? No, no. I've that's no. I'm not fighting. If I'm t- tired, I go to sleep. If I'm not tired, I'm up. I've sort of worked it out, and I think what I really wish is that we had a 36-hour day. <laughs> I think that's really what it is. Hey, because it seems to me that if if I can, that it's about every 28 hours. Yeah. That I get to the point where I'm like, because I don't, I don't, I will not lie in bed and twist and turn and look at the ceiling. I will not fucking do that. I can't stand that more than anything. I, I, my favorite thing is when you, you go in the bed and you, you don't even remember it. Like you yeah. hit the horizontal and then you were out. That's the only way I like to go to sleep. And for me, I don't get that exhausted every 24 hours. Hmm. I, I've just done a lot of all nighters in my life. So, you know, um, so I don't really know how much I sleep. It's different from night to night. Um, it's probably less than a lot of people, but no, I'm not like fatigued. Clearly, I guess. Yeah. I have a son too, and I have to be present and alive and active for him and run around with him and drive him in a car. So there can't be any of that bullshit. <laughs> right. Um, you know. But uh, I'm also, you know, haunted by, uh, this is just, this is now we're going, this is the next level. <laughs> I'm haunted by the fact that I don't know how much time I have. Like um, death anxiety? Yeah. Well, it's not anxiety <laughs> um, because I don't – because, like, I'm not afraid of dying. I don't – any more than I'm afraid of before I was born. Is it just I mean, rumination like, then? It's just this thing of, like, of, of this idea that it could be at any time and and then that's everything that you did. That's all you did. And it's, so what if that's tomorrow? Like, well, all I want is people to, if they find out, if I die in a car crash tomorrow, whenever tomorrow is, I just yeah. want them to go, oh, that's too bad. 
<laughs> well, what do you want to remember you for? Like, I, I, I did one thing somewhere that somebody thought, ah, oh, that's too bad. <laughs> I mean, I, I presumably that you don't want to be remembered as the hus the ex-husband of uh, your ex-wife. Um, well, you know, I don't think people remember that anyway. Um, it's surprising when I Google, it still comes up. Oh, sure it does. And, you know, and she and I, I mean, we're, she's the mother of my son. I mean, yeah. we, and she's fantastic and I love her to death. And she's a great mom. And we live very, very close to each other almost every day. Um, so there's no drama or animosity or anything like that. And I'm, I, I'm proud and supportive of her and everything she does. So I don't give it, I never cared about fame or any of that. Yeah. Um, um, and, uh, Wait, so, so who do you want to say is too bad you died then. <laughs> well, just meaning that somebody who's heard any of the work that I've done, any of the creativity, okay. any of the art and just thought, Oh, I kind of like that song he wrote, or I like that piece he did. Um, you know, um, that, uh, because otherwise there's no context for it. I remember I was sad when Chris Farley died, yeah. but I was sad for totally selfish reasons because <laughs> I was hoping there's going to be more fat guy humor. coming. Yeah. That's, that was just, it's really selfish. But, but I was, that's why I was sad. Cause I was like, you know what? I dug his work. I thought he was funny and not a lot of people made me laugh and he made me laugh. So I was the same with Carlin when Carlin went, yeah. like, no more Carlin monologues. Um, <laughs> But so like, just, you know, any of that is all. I'm, so I just feel like, well, I haven't done the good thing yet. I haven't done the great thing yet. I haven't done the thing that anybody's going to miss me for yet. So I just, that's why I worry about my... <laughs> what do you think that's going to be? Do you think it's going to be a song or a movie or... No, I'm not who I know. I mean, you have, we all have, if you're an artist and a big world that's connected, you have little, I get notes from students every day that say I've changed their life or something. <laughs> or I get, you know, I get something from somebody on an album and they say we played at our wedding and whenever we have an anniversary, we play this. So you, you reach people, you touch people. And those are always good. You, you keep those emails and those contexts around to feel good about yourself. Um, but you also know that you'll never really know. You'll yeah. never really know who's hearing your work, especially, you know, if I do commercials or stuff that's on in stores or whatever, I'll never know. <laughs> so you just sort of have to know that what you put out was was good and was worth being held on to. And if so, it's probably happening. And so, you know, but I don't I don't know what the measure would be. I don't know what the rubric would be. Because uh, John Williams could walk into any 7-Eleven and nobody know who the fuck he is. Nobody knows who he is. You could yeah. even say, oh, I met John Williams. And most people have no idea who you're talking about. So, so yeah. you know, if that's the top of the thing as a composer, like, well, <laughs> you know what I mean? But, yeah. but he's written that music. Yeah. So I just want to do some good stuff. That's all. All right. Well, thanks for talking to me. I mean, I guess that covers a lot of things. I'm not sure what it covered, but... It covered a lot of different things, so. You know, hey, uh, unless you had something specific you needed accomplished, I think, you know, I think the nice part about, I mean, I listened to some of your uh, other stuff, you know, I mean, it's, it's, uh, I prefer the uncensored, unstructured, organic reality of stuff. Yeah. Because I, I think especially, I mean, I know how to give an interview and say all the right stuff. I yeah. know how to do that by this point. I know how to give you all the quotes. Right. I know how to how to make bite-sized chunks out of whatever idea, and then it's a nice little package. But that's not fucking real at yeah. all. That's not the person, and there's probably nothing that interesting in being able to show up and do a dog and pony. So, so uh, you know, if if you wanted me to stay more on the rails, you got to <laughs> no, 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 it's fine. No, I love this. Yeah, but that's the whole point of the thing. Is like I just like talking to people that aren't that you're like you're not really going to hear from necessarily. You're not really going to seek right. out. So yeah. Right. Um, right. See, that was a lot of fun. I thank you for talking Good to man. me. <laughs> well, and thanks for asking. I mean, I uh, love uh, you know rambling at mouth. That's like my second favorite thing to do. <laughs> What's the first? <laughs> uh, ask my girlfriend. Okay. All right. <laughs> yeah, have a good day. Yeah, you too. See you. Talk to you soon. All right. <clears throat> Sorry. Goddamn. 
That motherfucker's intense, right? I mean, Jesus fucking Christ. I... I feel bad I had to, like... I feel like I had to interrupt him every time I wanted to say or ask anything at all. Hmm. Also... How about the insider shitting on The Force Awakens stuff? It's the first negative anything I've heard about the new Star Wars film. Though otherwise, I guess everything I've heard has been from people not involved with it that haven't seen any of it except for the trailers. Which are fine trailers, I guess. I don't know. I just like hearing people shit on things that other people like, I guess. But I also like hearing people that like things other people hate. So, yeah, I'm just an asshole. I don't know what to say. Whatever. Come back. Not Thursday, Friday for Kinsey. God, why did I have to get the person on Gawker with the name I cannot fucking say? Kittens and Unicorns is talking to Miss Jenkins, Ms. Jenkins, on Friday about something. I haven't heard it. I don't know if I will hear it. Like I said, we don't really, we don't really listen to each other's stuff anymore, even though we're only like what seven episodes into our collaboration. But it, it's good. I like what she does, and I'll listen to all of her stuff eventually. But uh, yeah, Miss Jenkins, she's a fucking commenting powerhouse on Gawker. People love her. And- I guess mostly the right wing loves to fucking hate her. So I'm excited for that. If you can't tell by my voice right now. (laughs) I really am. (coughs) Sorry. I knew, I I know I said I was going to stop drinking when I did these recordings, but it's so hard coming back from work and having to do this shit. I'm really tired, especially when I'm working for $11 an hour on Labor Day. What's up with that bullshit? Anyway, send me a guest suggestion, please, because I don't have anybody lined up for next week. I'm not joking. I literally have nobody lined up or recorded for next week's episode. I tried. I tried reaching out to Second Life, uh, what do you call it, machinima, this, this, whatever, but they won't respond to me, so I need a guest for next week, please send me somebody, anybody, not anybody, but somebody good, also send your short stories, poems, whatever, send it to robinthesingunderground.com or at falconvane on Twitter. Or leave a voicemail at 260-PUNK-POD. I don't know the numbers. Just go to the website. They're there. Okay? Okay. Bye.